The following bonus episode is brought to you by our partner, Audible. If you enjoy this episode, check out the full network of shows available for free on Audible or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Richard Sherman, former All-Pro and Super Bowl champion. You probably already know that my friend Taylor Rooks and I work together on Amazon Prime's Thursday Night Football broadcast. And I'm here to announce that Taylor and I are also co-hosting an Audible original called The Lead, an audio series about some of the most incredible, inspirational, and unlikely stories in the history of America's favorite sport, pro football. We are excited to give you a sneak peek into the first episode with exclusive early release on Amazon Alexa. And with that, I will hand it over to Taylor for episode one. This is the league. By the mid-1970s, NFL defenses were at a crossroads. Having gotten away with just about anything for the better part of 50 years, the league was finally evolving. And with a growing television audience that loved high-scoring games, the league would begin to add rules to favor this. In 1972, they widened the hash marks, creating more space for the offense. In the years that followed, not only would they reduce penalties for offensive linemen, but they took away some of the defense's favorite tactics. Outlawing face mask tackles, headbutting, and spearing, they abolished the downfield chuck so defensive backs could no longer touch a receiver further than five yards off the line of scrimmage. And they outlawed the head slap. NFL defenses would then have to stand by as offensive numbers would explode. In the years that followed these rules changes, the number of thousand yard rushers would double and passing yards would shoot from 283 yards per game to 400. Finally, having all their tools taken away on the line of scrimmage, one NFL team, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, decided to do something about it and would fight back. Literally, they learned Kung Fu. This is The League. Audible Originals presents a Joy Road Entertainment production. I'm your host, Taylor Rooks. In 1972, iconic martial arts superstar Bruce Lee began production on a movie he had written and was directing. It was titled Game of Death. The film is most notable for being Bruce Lee's last and also for featuring a Filipino martial arts master named Dan Inosanto. Do you speak any English? Of course I speak English. I hope you don't mind if we move our man so that the two of us will have more room to groove. That was the two of them mixing it up a bit in a scene from the movie. At the time, Dan Inosanto was no stranger to Hollywood. 
Having achieved master in a number of the martial arts, he had done stunt work on The Green Hornet and appeared in dozens of action films, including Sam Peckinpah's The Killer Elite with James Caan and Robert Duvall. But what wasn't widely known about Inosanto was that he was also no stranger to football and had fallen in love with the sport growing up in California's Central Valley. I grew up in Stockton, California. That's um, 1936. I grew up on the South Side. We love sports from the South Side. So I did the same thing that every kid would do. We played football. I was told I was too small. I think I weighed uh, 112 pounds. I love the game. Really love the game a lot. And as a running back at Stockton's Edison High School, Dan Inosanto was actually pretty good. I was a leading ground gainer for my football team. I think at one time I led the lead and I got all conference, but you know, that's no big deal. A lot of people have gone to all conference before. It may have helped that one of Dan Inosanto's first coaches is considered one of the forefathers of the game, Amos Alonzo Stagg. The mentor of modern football. Amos Alonzo Stagg. And of course, we're young high school kids. We don't know. Almost everything in, in American football is related to him. He invented the huddle. He invented the teeth formation. He invented the founders of many, the forward pass. So he was our coach in high school. And I got to play for him. I got to be personally tutored by him. While Inosanto would learn the game of football from one of the best, he would also be taught the martial arts by some of the best from his family. Right after World War II, my uncle uh, served in the 1st Filipino Infantry, and he taught the soldiers there. And they belonged to this group called the 1st Special. There was no special forces at that time. He taught me martial art. When, when he came back, he taught me the elements of what we call uh, te. Okinawan te is called karate, but the Americans said karate or karate. So I learned from my uncle. Inosanto would build upon what he learned from his uncle and achieve mastery in a number of the martial arts, including Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Eskrima, and Muay Thai. But it would be through his work with dear friend Bruce Lee that would change his approach to the martial arts. I was introduced to Bruce Lee in, I believe, it's 64. Bruce thought outside the box. That's what made him great. The minute I knew him, I knew he, he was talented. I knew I'd love to study with this person. I thought he was a person way ahead of his time period. He's what I call him a groundbreaker. He did things that other traditional martial artists didn't do. Dan Inosanto had such admiration for Bruce Lee that he even named his daughter after him. Actress and a star in the hit series, The Mandalorian, Diana Lee Inosanto. My dad met him at the International Long Beach Tournament, which by the way was my parents' second date. So my father, when he met my godfather, Uncle Bruce, he goes, he knew that there was something special in his ideas and his philosophy. The two would quickly become training partners, pushing the boundaries of the martial arts. Back in the 60s, I was born in 66, but the martial arts uh, world was unique back then because it was just this budding flower in this essence that when my father was with my godfather, they were doing something very radical for that time, and that was exploring different arts and systems. Because in those days, culturally, if you were, for instance, a Chinese martial artist, you would never interact and learn from a Japanese martial artist or a Korean martial artist. You know what I mean? You just never cross those roads. 
As a result of their kinship, Inosanto was one of the only three people to have been appointed to teach Jeet Kune Do, the discipline created and developed by Bruce Lee. But as Diana Inosanto explains, Jeet Kune Do is more than a martial art. It is also a philosophy. My godfather really believed it was important to be able to empty your cup, so to speak, and try to gain as much knowledge as possible. My favorite saying is in primary freedom, one utilizes always, but is bound by none. That's pretty much the spirit of Jeet Kune Do philosophy, is that you have the freedom to train in different arts and find what is best for you. In the summer of 1977, that philosophy would be put to the test when Inosanto received a call from one of his old college friends. Bob Ward plays a huge role in this. Bob Ward and my dad had went to college together along with the other Ward brothers, Paul Ward and Maurice Ward. Bob and his family had been on, through a lot. So my dad's family, my grandparents, they kind of took in the Ward brothers and really looked at them almost like sons. My roommate actually was Maurice Ward and Bob Ward was not, but he was more in the room than his brother. And we sort of buddied around and because we lived in the pines, they always refer to him as the pine tree and I'm the pine cone because I was so small. They were the ones to introduce me to weight training. We're talking the 50s, and there was a lot of misconceptions about training. And Bob Ward was always uh, what I call on the cutting edge of the training. Bob Ward was a pioneer in athletic training, using data and applying Eastern methods to Western sports. Having won three consecutive national championships as Fullerton College's track coach, so impressed with him was Dallas Cowboys coach Tom Landry that he hired Ward to be the team's strength and conditioning coach. Bob Ward, he gives me a call and says, how would you like to come down and teach martial art to the football players? I want you to teach a little bit of what they call Jun Fun Wing Chun, and I want you to teach stick fighting. And I go, stick fighting? What does that got to do? And I want you to teach martial arts. By the end of the 1976 NFL season, the Dallas Cowboys were a team on the precipice of greatness. Coached by the legendary Tom Landry, the team had made the playoffs three of the previous four seasons, but each would end in disappointment. And offense was not the problem either. With a unit that featured three future Hall of Famers in Roger Staubach, Drew Pearson, and Tony Dorsett, the Cowboys were stacked. And defensively, though they had talent at every level with players like Harvey Martin and Cliff Harris, they still had underachieved. The unit had also struggled adapting to rule changes on the line of scrimmage, the result of which would make them the league's most penalized unit. They needed change. So, entering the 1977 campaign, strength and conditioning coach Bob Ward came up with an unusual idea. He would bring Dan Inosanto to the Cowboys training camp to retool the Dallas defense by implementing the martial arts to professional football. But as training camp in Thousand Oaks began, it seemed the Cowboys weren't exactly ready for it. And a lot of people didn't understand. I don't think a lot of coaches knew what we were trying to do. And then a lot of football players didn't understand either. One of the first no-nos my dad made on the first day was he actually got on the field with the players. And they're like, what the heck is this 
this man doing on the field with our players? No coach goes out there on the field with the players. What the heck is this? One of the players was a backup linebacker from Maryland who was struggling to make the team in his third year. His name was Randy White. And while most Cowboys fans didn't know who he was then, they would soon find out. Well, when I first got there, Leroy Jordan, middle linebacker, they had drafted me to take over Leroy's job. And it just didn't work out the way that they had hoped to. I'm covering Tony Dorsett one-on-one out of the backfield. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm not going to be able to make it playing this middle linebacker spot. But Coach Landry called me in and he actually asked me, what do you think about moving back into the defensive line? And I said, Coach, I said, I'll play wherever you want me to play. I just like to play football. White would move to defensive tackle, but as his training would start, he wouldn't be playing football. Didn't really understand anything about the martial arts. And then they give us two sticks and they start showing us how to manipulate the sticks. And you're thinking, well, we can't play with sticks out there on the field. Fans and press would think the same thing as they watched players on America's team under the guidance of a Filipino guru who had them kicking practice dummies and flailing away with fighting sticks. But the resistance, shares Diana, was something her father expected. So when he was asked to help coach the Dallas Cowboys, I know that was going on in the back of his head you know, the potential scrutiny. And even though he felt a lot of love and support from Bob and from certain members of the the Dallas Cowboy organization, he also knew and could feel that some of them were pushing back, like, is this crazy? Are we gonna be the laughing stock of the NFL? You gotta remember too, we were coming out of the Vietnam War. So there was still this kind of attitude with Asians in general. I think for my father, there was this undercurrent that this was controversial. And I think he was concerned this could hurt Bob. There were people that were skeptical. And Cowboy Nation wouldn't be reassured hearing Bob Ward discuss it. First, basically, Bob, just when you decide that this might be advantageous for a football Basically, I was introduced to the martial arts back in college by a good friend of mine, Dan Asano. It's just a matter of the truth falling in. It's like water flows downhill. If your eyes are open, you kind of see the possibilities. But the possibilities were something Dan Inosanto could see because it was part of the philosophy of Jeet Kune Do. Different skills can be transferred from the martial art to any kind of a sport activity. In this case, it would be football. Because what you're trying to do is build attributes. Anything that builds speed, anything that builds strength, and anything that builds stamina. Martial art can do that. And for the next few weeks of Cowboys training camp, Dan Inosanto would show them how. By teaching them Eskrima. If you train in stick fighting, it will turbocharge the reaction time. And it also turbocharges what we call reaction to speed. Teaching them Muay Thai. When you kick around for three minutes, it's very exhausting. So it really produces what they call stamina. Instructing them in Hubad. And then we practice Hubad, which is an empty hand art, and it turbocharges the reflex for the lineman's hands. And he even gave them knives to fight with. Hubad can be done with a single dagger. Hubad can be done with double daggers. When a guy slashes a knife at you, your hand becomes very fast. And if you ask Randy White, in just a matter of time, Dallas Cowboys players began to see it too. 
I kind of got it. I really did. And I saw the value of it, of using your hands and develop learning how to use your left hand and your right hand equally, being more balanced, your timing, your distance. Danny got it. He understood that. I guess he just looked at it and saw the hand manipulation and the way we worked. And it just clicked in him on, boy, how can I make these guys better? And instantly, I know my game improved. Like I said, it definitely made me a better football player. In every aspect of the game, it made me a better football player. The training didn't just make Randy White better. It made him one of the best. White would go on to become a seven-time All-Pro and enshrined in Pro Football's Hall of Fame. But he wasn't the only cowboy to benefit. You know, speed is, is real. Okay, you could be very fast in a straight line. So you need lateral speed to move diagonal to straight forward and how to back up. So a lot of the martial art training is good for a defensive back because you have to be able to move back and footwork. So the footwork was implemented. Recalls former Cowboys defensive back and fellow Hall of Famer Cliff Harris. I know that had a great effect on me and particularly Charlie Waters, who was my buddy at safety. We studied a form of martial arts that helps you defend yourself that other teams didn't do so they wouldn't expect what they were getting. It really helped the defensive lineman. It also helped me too, I think, as in terms of knowing how to best use momentum and weight distribution and those type of things that get players off balance. So it was a foundational development, the type of programs he brought in. Santos Methods also found a fan and one of head coach Tom Landry's young assistants, a former Cowboy himself and future Super Bowl winning head coach of the Chicago Bears, Mike Ditka. Mike Ditka was not the head coach. He was under Tom Landry. So Mike Ditka was the end coach. For me, it meant a lot. After we finished, he was the only coach that came and thanked us for working. Just for him to come up and say thank you. Bob Ward and Dan Inosanto's training and tactics would put the doomsday back into the Dallas defense. Come regular season, the Cowboys defense would hit opposing offenses like a sledgehammer. Randy White, who had only five sacks the previous season, would have 13. Dallas native Harvey Martin would wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks to the tune of an astounding 20 sacks. Cliff Harris and Charlie Waters would both enjoy one of their best years, combining for eight interceptions and both making All-Pro. As a unit, the Dallas Cowboys defense would yield a ridiculously stingy 212 points, lead the league in fewest yards allowed, and finish the season as the NFL's number one defense. And as a team, they would enter the playoffs with the league's best record. Innovations brought to the Dallas Cowboys by Dan Inosanto and Bob Ward over 40 years ago were not embraced immediately throughout the league. As Dan Inosanto explains, this is often the case with change, something he was witness to while working with Bruce Lee. When Bruce Lee came in the line, I mean, he wasn't too well liked by the other martial artists. I think he was kind of a threat. So he went beyond protocol, but beyond what people did. First of all, most styles have a uniform. They have a white gi and they have a belt. Bruce Lee uh, ran around in sweatpants and no gi and no shirt. For that time period, maybe people might even have resented Bruce. 
because he's a groundbreaker. Anytime you have a groundbreaker, he's not fully accepted. I think Schopenhauer, he says truth goes through three stages. The first stage is ridicule. Second stage is violently opposed. And the third stage is self-evident. Why would anybody even question it? But the philosophy behind Bob Ward and Dan Inosanto's groundbreaking techniques would see a resurgence in the early 2000s, popularized and passed on by one league insider who also happens to be one of Dan Inosanto's former students. He is Fox NFL Sunday contributor and founder of Unbreakable Performance, Jay Glazer. Dan Inosanto is a legend. I got certified under him. Let me tell you something, he has the fastest hands any dude you'll ever see in your life. And forget any old man, any man. So for me to train a, and or for me to get, you know, that little certification thing that I that I completed a course under Dan Anasanto, Guru Anasanto, was pretty wild. But Jay Glazer would take what Guru Anasanto taught him, and in the spirit of Bob Ward, would apply his own touches. I was always like, man, if I could teach the football players the fighter mentality, and if I could teach the fighters the football player IQ, then everybody wins. I was training at a place called API, Athletes Performance Institute out in Arizona. I was training with a certain football player. And the guy was a part-time defensive end. He was a long snapper for the Kansas City Chiefs. I was like, hey, dude, why don't you come in and train with my MMA guys? And, man, we opened up his hips. We really got his hands wisdom. We got his hands more violent. And more than anything, he already had that fighter mentality. But we really got him acting like he's the baddest SOB on the planet. And that long snapper ended up being Jared Allen. So Jared Allen, after training with us, led the NFL in sacks, went from part-time long snapper to, boom, leads the NFL in sacks, highest contract in the history of the NFL. And everybody called and said, okay, whatever you did for him, do it for us. But it was under Dan Inosanto. Texas-born and ranch-raised, the five-time pro bowler out of Idaho State, led the league twice in sacks during a stellar 11-year career. I've always been a fan of fighting, right? The combat sports, you know, because the only walls you have to put up, you know, fight through is, is the walls you put up, right? So it, it really is, a, it's an internal battle and just the intensity, the hand-eye cord, I mean, all the other, all the stuff that goes along with, you know, martial arts, but at the, at the core of it, it's you're as good as you're willing to push yourself. So yeah, so I, Glaze got me into training MMA with guys at UFC, started getting into jiu-jitsu, and I tell you what, it, it took my game to another level just from the from a mentality standpoint, conditioning standpoint. And I, I think, you know, martial arts, especially on the D-line, is a huge, huge deal because pass rushing and stuff like that, it's, it's a lot like, like boxing. It's the same type of hand, same hand, same foot type of combinations and rhythm where, you know, your body naturally kind of works opposite each other. The crossovers are there. And according to Alan, the crossovers and training will always need to be there. And, you know, it is constantly evolving in NFL. You look back at, you know, the Tegan Joneses, you look at, uh, you know, Carl Harrison was a D-line coach. He talked about he used to put a little piece of uh, plywood underneath his gloves so he could head slap people and ring their bell, which is vicious and awesome all at the same time. But the league is constantly evolving, constantly trying to take things away. You have to adapt. And so I think when you look back at some of the, you know, like you said, some of these violent maneuvers got taken away is, okay, how can you use those same techniques but in a more pointed target? Al Carson is accustomed to pointed targets. Carson trains his clients in knife combat. 
You may see a video of, like everybody saw it myself with the knives. I've had people say, oh, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And that's dangerous. First of all, we're not going to do it with real knives. You know, we're not that crazy. But what it is, is it's a mindset. Now, if you have not heard of him, you have certainly heard of some of his clients. Former Defensive Player of the Year and three-time All-Pro Khalil Mack of the Los Angeles Chargers, or maybe three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, seven-time All-Pro and superstar defensive tackle Aaron Donald, whose game-sealing move handed the Rams their first Super Bowl title in Los Angeles, was taught by Al. What we call it is an El Perry. It's, it's an El Perry is a term used in Krav Maga to block or replace a guy's hand or arm. That's one of our basic things that we teach our athletes is you do the El Perry and you do a hammer fist. And we basically know where it came from. And Aaron's been doing that for years. Both the quarterback and the man he handed off to are tackled by Donald. <laughs> The first time I met Aaron and started began to train him, I said, look, how do I change perfection or how do I add to perfection? You know, he's just that he's the best to ever play his position. And he kind of laughed and he, as humble as he is. And we just started working and Aaron likes the brutality of Krav Maga. Al Carson is lead instructor and owner of IKM, the only Israeli Krav Maga Association gym in Western Pennsylvania. The awesome thing about what we do is everything that we teach the football players all comes from fighting techniques. And our thing is we want to keep it within the rules of the game. You know what I mean? But there is some brutality to it. So we have a philosophy that we want to make a football player an elite football player. While Aaron Donald's move can be traced back to a gym in Western Pennsylvania, the genesis for it can be traced back to the summer of 1977, when Filipino master Dan Inosanto brought the martial arts to the Dallas Cowboys. Inosanto's groundbreaking work not only gave birth to a paradigm shift in NFL defensive philosophy and methodology, but it helped a team that had been on the precipice of greatness achieve the ultimate in professional football. When later that same year, the Dallas Cowboys would storm through the playoffs, outscoring their opponents 60 to 13 on their way to Super Bowl 12, where they would dominate the Denver Broncos 27 to 10. A game in which Inosanto's prized pupil, Randy White, would earn the game's MVP. What a way for Dallas to start the season. World champion. My congratulations go to all the players, coaches, and team. The Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl victory would mark the end of one chapter in Dan Inosanto's life. And months after that game, so too would another chapter end when Hollywood finally released Game of Death. It would also be the last time Dan Inosanto would ever work with his dear friend and mentor, Bruce Lee. The Inosanto Academy of Martial Arts has been in Marina del Rey, just west of Los Angeles for over 40 years. It is here where Dan Inosanto can still be found doing what he has done for the better part of his 86 years, teaching. This is the component parts of the JKD. And his favorite student is also his biggest fan. What I admire about him is his resilience and his perseverance. Because again, as a child, watching my father endure things that were so hurtful, 
And then yet it was amazing. And with patience and time, people came around by taking this different path of peace and patience. I think that's why people have always been so loving of him. And I think this is part of the reason too, Uncle Bruce loved him too. The gym's walls of this academy are covered in photos that chronicle much of Dan Inosanto's incredible life. They include images of some of the most vital figures in the history of martial arts, film and sports, and also his time spent with the Dallas Cowboys. But for Dan Inosanto, they all represent his journey, a journey he has lived as athlete, father, friend, and instructor, and a journey he shares in a poem he wrote. We're all climbing different paths through the mountain of life. We've all experienced much hardship and strife. There are many paths up to the mountain of life, and some climbs can be felt like the point of a knife. Some paths are short and others are long, but who can say which path is right or wrong? The beauty of truth that each path has its own song, and if you listen closely, you'll find where you belong. So climb your path true and strong, but respect all other truths for your way for them could be wrong, which I really believe. Thank you. I hope you got what you wanted. This is Taylor Rooks. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an Audible original created and written by P.G. Kasheri. Produced by Audible Originals and Joy Road Entertainment. Neil Cabana, PJ Kosheri, Matthew Hatchett, and Jim Young. Executive producer, Nick D'Angelo. The production was designed, engineered, and mixed by Neil Cabana. Our special thanks go out to Dan Inosanto, Diana Lee Inosanto, Jared Allen, Al Carson, Jay Glazer, Cliff Harris, the late Bob Ward, and Randy White. Contributing writers, Jane Coaston, Janita Davis, Tim Livingston, and Eli Lloyd. Acquisition and development, John Kim and Sonia Kim. Audible Legal Services, Whitney Marshall. Legal services provided by Pierce Law Group, David Albert Pierce and Carter Courtney. Head of Audible Studios, Zola Mashariki. Joy Road Entertainment is PG Kusheri, Matthew Hatchett, Bobby Glanton-Smith, Tim Livingston, and Jim Young. Copyright 2022 by Joy Road Entertainment, LLC. Sound recording copyright 2022 by Audible Originals, LLC.